Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, of our hearts, be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Everybody see me okay? I can pretty much make eye contact with everybody. You need to shift over. Go ahead. So, this guy walks into the church and he says to the secretary, I want to see the head hog. Secretary seems taken aback. Excuse me, she says. He repeats himself. I want to see the head hog. The secretary says, well, if by head hog you are referring to our senior pastor, I would ask that you refer to him in a more appropriate title, like pastor or reverend. Okay, said the man, appearing a bit chastised. I just came in because I had $10,000 I wanted to give to your church. Stay right where you are, the secretary said. I'll go get the big pig right now. <laughs> Don't even think about it. <laughs> Interesting little joke. And, of course, what makes it funny is that we, we all know how quickly the power of money can cause us to compromise our dignity, and our values. Misplaced understanding of what abundance is, huh? Speaking of uh, big pigs, I'm sure Zacchaeus was called that on a regular basis or something like it. Little pig, maybe? You see, Zacchaeus was a man who compromised his values to acquire financial abundance. A tax collector in Jesus' world was typically a Jew who collected taxes for the Romans. And Romans, of course, were viewed as the hated oppressors, which they were. Furthermore, a tax collector was an extortionist, typically, collecting more than was actually due and pocketing the difference. Needless to say, a tax collector was not a popular figure among his fellow Jewish citizens. All the more so a chief tax collector, which Zacchaeus was. A wee little man, perhaps, but a wealthy little man. Now, to those who buy into the belief that real abundance is found in financial wealth, uh, Zach, just to shorten it, I'm going to refer to him as Zach some of the time, not Zacchaeus. Zach must have been the happiest guy in Jerusalem because he had the most money, right? But we can easily surmise this was not the case from Zacchaeus' actions. Clearly, uh, Zach felt compelled to see Jesus, who happened to be passing through town. But why? Curiosity, you think? How do you read it? Curiosity, without a doubt. Have you ever been curious to learn more about who Jesus was for some particular reason? To get a better look, as it were. I hope you did get a better look. Cultivating curiosity is a virtue. And to help us get into the, the, the spirit of uh, Wanting to see Jesus more closely, I'd, I'd like to invite the kids to come on up front uh, at this time. Come on up, kids. All right. 
Lead it to Zoe to lead the charge. Come on up. Nora, Frida, Marty. All right. I love those glasses. Fortunately, when called upon to come up with a children's sermon in 45 minutes, uh, there is this little song. How many know the Zacchaeus song? Who wants to come up and help with the hand motions? Because I'm trying to figure out what they are uh, this morning. Okay, so do you guys know the Zacchaeus song? No. Okay, so I'll, I'll, so I'll teach it to you. Okay, so there's actually a third verse which we're going to get to too. It goes, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, the Lord he wanted to see. And then the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Okay, and then the last verse is, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but a happy man was he. For he had seen the Lord that day, and a happy man was he. And a very happy man was he. Okay, there, now there's an ending, right? He was, he was happy, right? Okay, so you guys ready? To, okay, so stand up. And who, who else wants to come on up and do this, do this thing? Okay. All right, ready? And a one, and a two, and a three. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And then one Savior passed on by, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Okay, and the third verse, which I have to read. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, but a happy man was he. For he had seen the Lord that day, and a happy man was he. A very happy man was he. Okay. Let's hear it for you guys. Good job. Why do you think, why do you think Zacchaeus was happy? What's that? <laughs> because he was tall. She's, she's trying to mess with me, Rick. Did you tell? Yeah. You know, I think he felt really tall. He felt really tall. Absolutely. He was a wee little man, but he felt tall. Well, well uh, go ahead and uh, you can listen to the rest of the. I hope you will listen. And we're going to talk about why he was happy. But um, for now, turn to the face the congregation, and give them your best Zacchaeus was a happy little man smile. Okay, thanks. Let's have a little prayer. Let's have a little prayer. Lord, thank you um, that you come to us to give us life and to put a smile on our face and to help us realize how blessed and lucky we are that the God of the universe uh, loves us, no matter who we are. Lord, in your
mercy, we give you thanks. Amen. Thanks for coming up, you guys, and singing this fun little song. So we know that Zach was curious to see Jesus, but as curious as Zach was, that only begins to explain his actions. For he behaved like a desperate man. Let's unpack this a little bit. Predictably, Zach couldn't see Jesus because a crowd was in front of him. But do you, do you think anyone was saying in, in front of him, Oh, here's Zacchaeus, stand in front of me so you can see. Unlikely. I'm sure that everyone relished Zach being stuck in the back of the crowd, unable to see a thing. They probably, in fact, positioned themselves purposely in front of him so that he couldn't see. Remember, they didn't like him. So, Zacchaeus ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree, it says. Now, Running with uh, his tunic flying about in the wind was not something a grown man did in this culture, unless it was some sort of emergency. Maybe it was for him. Particularly a man with social status and power. But not only did Zach run ahead, he then climbed a tree like a child at play. Again, adults didn't do this sort of thing. And with all those people around, it is doubtful he could have climbed the tree anonymously, so he probably incurred the mockery and the taunts of those who were watching him. He had pretty much lost all his dignity. Let's be clear. Zacchaeus really, really wanted to see Jesus. An abundance of money may have made Zacchaeus a person of privilege and comfort, but very likely that abundance did not extend in here, to his inner life. Money does not feed a person's soul. We all know that, particularly money by ill-gotten means. So, do you think that Zach felt lonely? doesn't say. What do you think? Likely? Did he feel ashamed, perhaps? Empty inside? I think for reasons such as these, these are why Zach was willing to make a fool of himself to see Jesus that day, along with his curiosity. Zacchaeus wanted to be free, free from the weight he carried around, free from the emptiness that haunted him. He wanted abundance in here, and he was about to find it. What Zacchaeus didn't know is that at the same time he was trying to see Jesus, Jesus wanted to see Zacchaeus, and he did see him up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. As uh, you strive to get a better look at Jesus today, isn't that one of the reasons we gather, to get a clearer picture of who Jesus our Savior is? And you, got, you guys up in the balcony, I guess you'd, you'd be in the sycamore tree, right? Trying to get a better look. And as Jesus addresses you by name, what does he say to you today, do you think? What do you imagine? 
his address is to you. For someone important like Jesus to invite himself to your house, to the house of someone, was an honor and was clearly an affirmation of Zach's very person. The crowd who witnessed this could only grumble about this. Why is Jesus going to the house of a sinner? Clearly, Zach wasn't worthy of such an honor in the eyes of the crowd. Jesus was defiling himself by going there. So what must this experience have been like for Zach, do you think? No details are provided about the visit, but there appeared to be no agenda on Jesus' part. All we know is that as a result of Jesus' visit to Zach's house, he felt moved without prompting to declare that henceforth he would give half of all of his possessions to the poor, and if he had defrauded anyone, sounds like a confession to me, that he would pay back those who he had defrauded uh, fourfold. Why on earth would Zach suddenly do an about-face, a 180, and become that generous, pledging to give away so much? Was Jesus pressuring him here? Do you pick that up? Guilting him, chastising him, striking fear into him? None of that appeared to be the case. Rather, Jesus showed up, loved Zach, and set him free. That's what happened, plain and simple. Jesus once said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Without a doubt, without a doubt, Zacchaeus felt an abundance inside that he probably had never felt in his life. And it had nothing to do with his riches. It seems the abundance he felt was the awareness that in Jesus, God was looking for him. God saw him. And God called him by name. The abundance he felt was that God was seeking his very company. I think Zach's definition of abundance changed that day as the barren landscape of his lonely and shame-filled soul was replaced by the grace of God, an undeserved gift, gift of exceeding value. Zach I think knew he didn't deserve this gift based on his character. After all, people hated him for a reason, right? But Jesus saw beyond that to who Zach really was, abundantly loved and capable of loving abundantly. What does abundance look like for you as you sit here today? Are you taking the 21-day gratitude challenge that Hope talked about last week? I hope so. How has God blessed you? We read the Old Testament lesson from Deuteronomy and we're reminded that we can take credit for none of the blessings, the wealth that we have. It's a gift. It's a gift. All we can do is say, thank you. Think often of this, of your blessings. Give thanks and be free. Part of your freedom will be your generosity. Just look at Zacchaeus. Now, we, we think that being generous in our culture is a, is a big, painful sacrifice that makes one uh, miserable because it hurts so much to give. 
sort of like there's another uh, a joke about the, the father, mother, and baby who leave church one Sunday. The baby and the father are both crying, and the pastor asks the mother why they're crying. Well, she says, the, the baby's teething and the father is tithing. I know tithing is an older term. For, uh, it means giving 10% if you're not up on the term tithing. Generous. The truth is quite different than that. Have, um, have you ever met a generous grouch? I don't... <laughs> oh, oh, there goes my example. Someone who gives a lot but is, you know, is unhappy? Usually not. I'd love... Uh, Jody can tell you about someone... It doesn't fit that. Usually it's quite the opposite. Generous people are usually not crying, but they're upbeat and positive because they're generous because they're grateful and thankful for how they've been blessed. They have been set free. Uh, this year we're, all in, uh, we're inviting all of you to make a difference with your uh, financial giving. God's abundance for you, me, and us is not supposed to be clutched tightly, but shared with one another and our neighbors. Now, because the scope and, and vision of Mount Carmel's present and future is growing, we are asking you to discern with God what it means for you to become more financially invested in Mount Carmel's mission, just as in all facets of your life. What does it mean to be invested in, the, in this work of God here, th this people that is gathered this morning and regularly uh, to do God's mission in Northeast Minneapolis. But in light of the story today about Zacchaeus, I want to ask that no one here gives anything out of guilt. If you do, <laughs> don't do it. Because one day you'll be resentful of giving for that reason. And you'll probably leave the church. Do you give merely out of obligation? Same thing here. Don't do it. Obligation has a way of making us one day resent it because of where it's coming from. Eventually, our well is empty, and then we just want to run away from it all. Do you give to prove something or justify yourself to be better than your neighbor? Again, stop it. God has set you free from having to play such games to justify your position or be someone. Give because you are free to give and because you want to give. Give because you are grateful for God's abundance to you and you want to share that abundance. In 2 Corinthians, it says that God loves a cheerful giver. That means a thankful giver. In closing, yes, it's, it's stewardship time. And like any church, we could easily think this is all about uh, fundraising, paying the bills, that abundance is really about dollars and cents and ledger sheets. And then we can try to use a bunch of silly techniques to get you to, to give. Horace Greeley, the famous newspaper editor of the 19th century and a leader uh, in the anti-slavery movement, once received a letter from a woman who wrote this. Our church is in dire financial straits. We have tried everything to keep it going a strawberry festival, an oyster supper, a donkey party. It's the 19th century. <laughs> a donkey party, a turkey dinner, and finally a box social. 
Will you please tell us, Dr. Greeley, how to keep a struggling church from disbanding? Greeley answered her in a message of two words. Try Christianity. Well, there's the thought. Instead of the donkey parties and oyster suppers, try Christianity. Who would have thought? I'm surprised they didn't mention a pig roast with the head hog. We've been set free by God's abundance. If that abundance doesn't overflow into generous living, we're not paying attention. Amen.